Our scripture passage today is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. That's my husband up there. <laughs> Make it work. Okay. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even when she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good, good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going on about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but they also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel young widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, all right. Good. Good to be here with you again and privilege again to open the Word of God. Uh, let, let's pray together over His Word this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming to your Word to, uh, especially a letter like this, to a church that can really have some practical help for us. Father, I pray that you guide our conversation through this and, and teach us from your Word today. Uh, we want to understand your thoughts and honor your thoughts and be able to, to apply them and do the things that you've called us to do. Uh, so thank you for giving us this help in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, the work of the church is spiritual work. It's to take a, a, the thing we call the gospel or the good news that our condition of being sinful, lost people can be changed. As God has made efforts to send his son to provide salvation for us, to extend his grace to us, we can respond to that and be cleansed from our sins and be made part of God's family. There's a spiritual message, and then we grow up in Christ. We disciple each other, which means we just learn how to walk with Jesus, how to live in union with him. There's a spiritual work of the church that's really important. 
And, and yet at the same time, there's a reality that we live in a broken world, in this fallen world that has, there's needs here in the world. There's physical needs. There's all kinds of, of struggles and needs that we have. And these are different things, right? This spiritual message way over here versus the reality that, oh, someone over here is hungry. Someone over here has fallen down and needs help to get up. Someone over here has this ongoing need. And how do these come together? How do we intersect these as a church? Uh, I got to be honest, I think the churches have struggled to figure out how do we take the reality of this spiritual message and engage it in a broken, hurting world. You know, in the free church, we try to address this. Article 8 says, hey, if these things are real, if God loves us and wants to make a difference, it should connect. We should care about the real world around us. It should make a difference, you know, in how we see, hey, how can we apply biblical justice or lifting someone out of a physical need? There should be a connection. We shouldn't only be in our little enclave talking about our spiritual things with no connection to a hurting world around us at all like a lot of churches have done, or if we just come over here and commit to fixing all the problems around us, then it becomes this, this uh, social church, socially driven church, we can lose the gospel, as many churches have done. Where's that intersection? I, I really think uh, it kind of falls on us to have that conversation often so we can look for the sweet spot. Where does God call us to engage in that intersection between the needs in the world and the message that we value, the gospel and the spiritual truth? What's our sweet spot? It's been fun to see some church, sometimes when the church has connected really well and found that sweet spot. I'm thinking of a, of a previous church I was in, a family's house burned down. There's this catastrophic fire. Everything was gone. And the church was just like, oh, we can help with that. And so this immediate surrounding and providing and care, it was overwhelming. And it was just like, oh, yeah, this is what the spiritual truths should look like in that situation. It was really cool. It became a really incredible testimony. I remember another uh, church I was in where a sweet spot was found in caring for single moms in the community. So it was like, there's a lot of needs. Which one is God calling us to pay attention to right now? There's a lot of things that we love and care about and can do. What's that intersection? And this, this uh Caring for single moms became like a huge sweet spot for this church to be engaged and blessed in needs in the community. And I could tell all kinds of stories about things that church did, things that we did that were really helpful and really meaningful. It's really fun to see a church find its sweet spot. Of course, here at Antioch community church, the grocery ministry has been a, is, is currently a sweet spot. It didn't exist a few years ago. I don't know exactly what the sweet spot will be a few years from now, but right now it's like, hey, here's a need. We have a way to engage in a way that brings this truth to bear in people's lives. 
right? It's a sweet spot. It's a good intersection. But I got to tell you, there's also probably way more bad stories about churches not hitting that sweet spot. I mean, it is a really hard, challenging thing to do. I have a lot of story. I'm like, I'm going to have to pare this down <laughs> of trying to help someone in a way that just went, Pfft. you know, I remember one, uh, I got a phone call from a woman. She, oh, we're going to get kicked out of our apartment. We need the rent money. I've got three little kids. It's middle of winter. All of this stuff that I'm like, I can't ignore that. It's in our town. I have to figure that out. So I grabbed another elder. I'm like, can you help me discern how to engage in this? We spent two full days, me and this elder, researching, trying to validate and confirm the store, all this stuff. We made a decision. We gave pretty generously to help this person in this point of need. Only a few days later to find out we were completely taken. <laughs> But she had lots of kids, but none of them lived with her. I mean, all this stuff, it was like, oh, yeah, we were led down a trail, and she walked, you know, we didn't hand her cash. We actually paid her landlord and stuff, but still, it's like, this is hard. Or I'm thinking of another guy. He pulls up in a van in which he lived, and he had medical issues. I mean, this guy was, a, you know, he was hurting. He had all this stuff, and he's like, I just... I'm, I don't have food, I don't have income, I need help. I'm like, okay, why don't we drive two miles down the road to our grocery store and we're going to load you up with all these groceries that you need and I'll pay for it. Um, and he starts to argue with me. And he, <laughs> and he says, like I hesitate to tell these stories because and I have so many of them. He says, well, people like you get to eat in fancy restaurants all the time. Why do I have to get groceries for my van? I'm like, dude, number one, I don't eat in no fancy restaurants. I don't know who you think people like me are. Uh, and secondly, I'm trying to like give you free food. And, and it became a two-hour argument. And I would literally had like cases of water. I'll carry this to your van right now. He drove away with nothing thinking, what? No wonder you're homeless, man. <laughs> you're making life really hard on yourself. But it is a tough, tough thing as a pastor, as a church, to engage in the needs around us. We will make more messes than will help sometimes. We'll have more misfires uh, than we will sweet spots, quite frankly. Um, it's hard. It's a really challenging area. So I'm glad to see this passage of Scripture where Paul is writing to Timothy about a specific need and how he can have this sweet spot work well of engaging the truth of the gospel with, with a real situation uh, that they were engaged with right there. And this situation was the situation with, with widows in the church. That was a really prominent need there, bigger than it is for us now. If you think about widows in the first century, um, guys, a lot of men died young. You know, some of the, there'd be wars, and guys would get like, you know, woman gets married, has two kids, and then the guy, oh, you're going to war. <laughs> Let's go, and he doesn't come back. Uh, there was no OSHA to keep you safe at work. 
um, there, there wasn't a lot of these things in place, so there is more, common, more commonly having widows, and widows had less opportunity than a woman would have today to get a kind of job that could work for her. You know, most jobs were physical. Maybe she had kids to take care of. There were all kinds of reasons why, like, oh, this is a really pronounced and significant need in the community that the church should be addressing and needed to address. So if you remember, just back a little bit when we looked at the, uh, the role of deacons, where did deacons come? Where was the start of the role of deacons or servants in the church? Remember where that first happened, where the first deacons were appointed? Acts chapter 6. And it was food distribution for who specifically? Widows. For widows. Yeah. And, and it kind of like they were kind of doing it naturally as a church, but it needed more supervision because there was some like disparity also because, hey, different ethnic backgrounds were being treated differently. So all this stuff came together and they had to refine their work so they could effectively uh, minister to that huge uh, food uh, need group there in the church. You know, for us, we probably have different groups. We don't have a huge group of widows standing there saying we actually need help uh, for different reasons. We have other, other groups or other, you know, we have food insecurity right around us. That's a real need for a lot of people. We have immigrant populations that change and some parts of that grow and expand. There's needs and ways that we can connect there. So we have different needs now. Um, but what we want to do is find ways that can connect with a need without losing or diminishing this message, this spiritual work that we do. I have a friend that pastors a church not very close to here. Um, and he, I remember him telling me one time, he said, there's a lot of need, food insecurity in my area, but we don't give anybody food out of my church. We've made a strategic choice that if we do, they're, they're a little bit smaller than Antioch, and they have very, like, we have, look, I'm looking out over, like, loads of, of really, you guys are able-bodied people. You can do a lot of stuff. He didn't have as many people resources to do stuff. He said, if we start doing that, that's all we'll be able to do. We won't be making disciples anymore. And there's five places within our block where people can go to get free food. So we're not doing that here, was his conclusion. And it's probably the right conclusion for them. So they didn't lose their ability. They focus on evangelism and discipleship there, right? So it's, a, it's different for each church as we work out how do we hold on to the spiritual truths and make them real in the world around us. So Paul's talking to Timothy about their big need, widows. We can learn from what he has to say and I kind of summarize it into this. Paul gives five pieces of advice to Timothy on how they can address their ministry to widows. So I'll walk through the five pieces of advice that I can see inside of our, our text here today. The first one is this. Uh, there's a difference between helping to relieve an immediate need versus kind of providing ongoing support. Right? Think about like, 
a person in front of you falls down, it's immediate need. Let's stop what we're doing and help them up. Versus someone who says, I'm blind, will you hold my hand and guide me around for the rest of my life? That's a legitimate need they probably have, but I'm not going to just, like, I'm not as free to answer that right away. That'd have to be a calling. That would be a big deal. That's an ongoing support. And there's a difference between those two things. And as we as a church think about it, sometimes we can have the nimble ability to respond to a need. Um, And we should. I'm thinking of one church I was in. There was a, a pretty catastrophic flood event that happened right in town. And all of a sudden... Literally like that, it, when we went to church that morning, Sunday morning, everything was fine. It actually was rain up here in Minnesota that came down the rivers, and then a little bit of rain down there with everything being saturated. It was a perfect storm, and it was a 500-year flood event. So it was, it, was, uh, it was devastating. So we came to church, and everything was fine. Came out of church, and there was, uh, there was an old, older couple standing in the lobby who lived nearby, soaked from here down, like they just walked out of a swimming pool. And I'm really confused. I didn't even realize it was raining outside. What's happening? And that this was, this was their home. It was this deep in water. I'm like, oh, I did. what's happening? You know, and we learned, oh, that's our whole community right now. So we had to have that nimble ability to go, oh, this is our ministry right now. You know, people were trying to save their homes and went days without eating and didn't even realize it. So one of the things we did is, let's prepare several hundred meals just on the grill real quick, package them up, drive around, and just say, have you eaten? I don't know. Come over here and eat, you know, that kind of thing. So having that ability to meet an immediate need is different than the navigating the dynamics of ongoing support like they would have had with the widows in their church. And Paul says, he begins this section by saying, give proper recognition to those widows that are really in need. And he ends it by saying, so the church can help the widows who are really in need. Having that discernment is helpful. The second piece of advice is family first. He says in verse 4, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should first learn, uh, learn first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their grandparents and parents. This is pleasing to God. Then in verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's one of those moments where I think, wow, Paul, tell us how you really feel about that. (laughs) Um, You know, encouraging families to care for one another is important. Which came first biblically, the biological family or the church family? Yeah, the biological. God creates Adam and then he makes a wife. And they have kids, and that was like the first institution on earth. God ordained that. God put biological families in place, 
And so that's like the first play, family first, as far as meeting needs. Church should encourage that, not just disregard it or take over for it. Like, let's recognize God's order there. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but, but allowing the church to, or allowing the church, allowing families or encouraging families to do their part helps the church focus what the church is doing in a way that's more effective. The third piece of advice was help people who are money poor but spiritually rich. He says in verse 5, The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. And he goes on a little bit later and describes what he means by that. He says, No widow should be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. You know, it, it's, it's interesting that he encourages the church to give a focus on this person is living out the gospel. Let's bless them with applying the gospel to help with their ongoing support. That can sound like judging between one person and another, and that, that's okay. That's kind of what we're doing in one way. If you have a church, think generationally, where that church does a good job of caring for, let's say, the widows who have devoted their, themselves to their family, to the Lord, and to, to living out the gospel, is that maybe an encouragement to others to say, you know what, I should be faithful when I have my needs met. And maybe then it kind of puts you in the center of the provision of the church later. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, helping to reward those. Man, we have had some, some godly older women in churches that we've been a part of in the past. And a couple of older single widower guys, too, um, who just are amazing people. And they're, they're, they're so kind and loving. Um, I, I have a few faces in mind of some. And some of them, then I later did their funeral services, and it was such a joy because they gave of themselves to the church. The church should be there for them as well. It should be a mutual blessing, a mutual relationship that Paul is encouraging. The fourth piece of advice he gives is uh, help people to help help people, encourage people to mature and learn how to take personal responsibility. In um, verse 11, I'm in Ephesians. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> Ephesians has good stuff in it too. Verse 11, you know, it's as, as for the younger widows, don't put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. 
Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, manage their households, and give the enemy no opportunity for slander, as some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. I also have people in mind (laughs) who really didn't navigate their singleness well, or a midlife divorce, and they didn't handle that very well, and they were not encouraging or faithful or helpful to the people in the church. And Paul is just saying, be smart about, like, Not every single person who finds themselves single should become a dependent of the church. Some people are smart and capable and can, you know, like, especially in today's environment, even more so, have all kinds of opportunity to work, to serve, uh, to be a blessing to other people, to start a new life in whatever that situation is. And Paul's like, encourage godliness, encourage productivity, encourage people to take personal responsibility. That's a part of the way the church cares as well. And then the fifth piece of advice he gives is encourage individuals to keep doing personal ministry. He said, if any woman who's a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened by them so the church can help the widows who are truly in need. You know, um, sometimes uh, individuals come to church leadership and say, I have this idea or this person who has a need, and they try to push that off on the church to do. That happens often. Um, And then other times someone is doing an amazing job on their own. And Paul's like, that's part of the body of Christ. We do what God calls each of us to do in helping and serving other people. Encourage that. And then see if God calls us to come alongside and help those people. But we don't just like push someone else. Like, I have a burden for that person. Would you go help them? (laughs) You'd be surprised how often we hear that. Um, and, and just encourage people to continue taking personal responsibility. And finally, his last one is to remember that God has created different institutions to do different things, and we want to figure that out, not take all of it on as the church. So we talked about how God created the institution of family, and family first. Family should do what family should do. Um, And then there's also another institution that God designed called the government. We may or may not like the government. doesn't matter. It's part of God's design. Let the government do what the government does. And the church should do what the church should do. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Um, You know, and today's government especially does a ton of stuff. I grew up hearing at times, it's kind of a, I think kind of a Jesus people slogan, like, if the church did what it was supposed to do, there would be no welfare system. The government would be out of a job. And I was like, wow, maybe we're really failing as a church. But as I think about it, like, no, you know what? God has ordained government too, and they have stuff they can do, and that's great. It just gives the church opportunity to focus even more on making disciples, making sure that we're doing that well. Now, you could even say the same of businesses. 
if there are businesses that can help relieve needs, great. Church should encourage that. Uh, in the book of Ruth, we saw how there was a, a locally owned small business of running a farm that became a way to meet the need for a widow who'd come back home and didn't have anyone to care for her and an immigrant who moved in from a foreign land as well. And it was the business that met their need with the gospel, with that intersection of the gospel and ongoing support. Not a church. The church hadn't really been around yet. But I think it holds today too. If there's a business or a nonprofit organization doing something, the church should support and encourage that. And not just see that competitively, like, well, we're just not doing a good job because they exist, or they'll do it all and we'll just ignore it. Let's work cooperatively to help meet the needs of people so the church can do what we're called to do, to be a loving family, inviting all people into a life-changing way of Jesus Christ. It's good to, to have these conversations as an ongoing thing. We'll make mistakes along the way, but I'd so much rather we get out of our enclave, try to find ways to engage. I guarantee we'll make a lot of mistakes. We just apply grace, but we learn, and we grow, and we bring the gospel to bear. That church that did really well with single moms made some huge misses first. Uh, they did, there was a, a movie, let's do a movie night for single moms. We'll provide all the daycare, we'll do a movie, we'll bring in a thousand pounds of popcorn, you know, all this stuff. And they launched this thing, they marketed this thing, and they had the movie night. You know how many single moms came? None. <laughs> there was a whole team of volunteers, literally no one came. It was the biggest flop of any ministry event I've ever seen. (laughs) And I'm so glad that I was there for it because I just said, you know what? What do we learn from this? Let's, we learned this isn't going to work. What can we do differently? So we tried something else, some kind of a mentorship through single, single moms through small groups, like I think smaller groups have done with Arrive Ministries. That also flopped. There was one kind of marginal success story all the rest was failure. It was, okay, what do we learn from that? And so we did a single mom's um, oil change and car wash day. And it was such an incredible success. I mean, I could, the uh, local car dealership gave us the whole dealership for a, a day once a year. It became such an incredible success. So much gospel connection with so many people who needed it. But we never would have gotten there if we didn't have the grace to walk through the failures a couple times and to kind of fail forward with learning so we could find that sweet spot. And so I just want to encourage you, like, try it. Try stuff. And, and when, when we fall down and mess it up, we pick each other up and we say, what do we learn from that? Where's that engagement? Because people, people in need need the gospel more than they need Anything else, how can we help engage the gospel in real life? That's our calling so that we can make disciples of Jesus. Um, Let me pray for us today. Father, thank you for...
giving us this incredible truth. Uh, and Lord, you didn't call us all to be just education institutions holding the truth alone, uh, separated from the world. You, you called us to be engaged, to care, to love, to support. And Father, I pray for Antioch that you give us wisdom as we try things and change and modify how we do it. Help us to find some real sweet spots so we can meet some needs while walking people to the cross, introducing them to Jesus. We look forward to the journey of learning together how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.